The Talking 306 Podcast is a proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, supported by Connexus. Connexus Credit Union is all about their members. Improving their financial well-being drives everything they do. And that's not just something they say. It's a promise that's delivered by over 900 employees right across Saskatchewan. Their employees are members too, and they've been there. So they're committed to making your money work for you. The banking industry needs to change, and Connexus is changing it for everyone, because Connexus cares. Visit connexus.ca to learn more. The Talking 306 podcast is supported by Path Cowork. Path Cowork is a communal co-working space in Regina for entrepreneurs, small businesses, and organizations. Path offers private workspaces for individuals and teams, day passes, monthly memberships, common area workspace, and boardroom rentals. As a member at PATH, uh, I know firsthand how great it is. Um, Before I became a member, I was working from home. And while there were some days when it was good, there were days when I was alone at home when it was not good. So PATH is the perfect spot for my business. And it's, it's a great place to do this podcast as well. Plus, PATH has so many great perks for members, like free coffee, beer, networking events and socials, and a lot more. PATH is also set to become Saskatchewan's first multi-city co-working space when they soon expand to Saskatoon, my hometown. They will open their new space in the historic Besbro Hotel in downtown Saskatoon. Visit pathcowork.ca to learn more about membership and private workspace rates, benefits, and the many other reasons to work at Path Cowork. That's www.pathcowork.ca. Welcome to the Talking 306 podcast, part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I'm the host, Dale Richardson. On this episode of the Talking 306 podcast, my guest is Dr. Gordon Barnhart. I recently sat down with Dr. Barnhart to discuss his life and especially his career, which has really been one of the most impressive careers as a historian and public servant in the history of Saskatchewan. Dr. Barnhart served as Saskatchewan's 20th Lieutenant Governor, was the interim president of the University of Saskatchewan, served as the clerk of the Senate of Canada in Ottawa, was the youngest person to serve as the clerk of the Saskatchewan Legislature, and is currently a town councillor for the town of Saltcoats. We also discuss his work as a, as a historian, including his very important work on Saskatchewan's first Premier, Walter Scott, as well as other Saskatchewan Premiers. My name is Dale Richardson, and I'm the host of the Talking 306 podcast, and this is my conversation with Gordon Barnhart. Okay, so so thanks for doing this. Um, I told you that I I was very excited to to talk to you because mm-hmm. uh, you've you've had one of the I think most prolific and lengthy public service careers in the province. I I think out of anyone that I've heard of or have have known. So um, put in the words so far. 
Yeah. <laughs> you might you might be doing something next coming up here. Who knows? Well, yep. and and I mean with your work with with Suma and as a yep. as a counselor. So, um, but why why don't we go back a little bit? This is okay. this is something that I like to do with uh, with my guests because you know I think everyone has a has a story to tell. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you're from Salt Coats. Yes, I am. Um, can you just talk a, a little bit about Salt Coats itself for anyone who maybe has not been there? Sure. I, I personally have actually very, very briefly, but okay. if you can just talk about what Salt Coats is like. And well, I was born in Yorkton and spent about okay. the first three days in Yorkton before my I went with my parents to Salt Coats, which is where they were living. Yeah, uh, it's a town of just about 500 people. It's 27 kilometers southeast of Yorkton, right on the Yellowhead Highway. It's a beautiful small town. Uh, It has a natural lake with a beach and a park. Right in in town? uh, The lake is kind of a kidney shape, and the town is nestled right in uh, alcove. So um, I grew up there, and uh, as I was a young boy living in town, uh, and I I delivered newspapers, I mowed the grass in the summer and washed cars because I knew my parents couldn't afford to send me to university, and so that was the way I was going to make it to university. And as I was in town, I would see there was one house on the lake. It was a very old house and it had been there for a long time. And I said, sometime, Gordon, I'm going to come back here and have a house on the lake. In the meantime, I got married and family and careers, etc. Do you you have a house on the lake now? I do have a house on the lake. Yes, indeed. Um, And my first wife passed away and we had a property up at Meeting Lake, but uh, it needed a you know, well and pump out and road, et cetera. It was right in the forest. Yeah. And I sold it because it was a wee project and we were no longer a wee. And in the meantime, I found a property in Salkoats and uh, bought it. Right. And I was a single guy and had it built. And subsequently, I've remarried. And uh, so Naomi and I live there right. for part of the time. Yeah. So, um, so growing up, were so you you were I don't want to age you too much, but you you were born in, in 1945. Is that right? Correct. Was your was your did your dad serve in the military? My family, the Barnhart side of the family. I think you could travel the world and you'd never find a Barnhart grave in a war cemetery. Right. My by religion, uh, by belief, they were pacifists. Really? Okay. Uh, they came from the Palatine, uh, the Palatine area, which is now part of Germany. It was France, Germany, in in the early days of Europe, and. But they were persecuted by the Catholics, so they went with William of Orange to Holland, to England, to the United States, Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Dutch, except they were German. Right. And uh, so then the War of Independence broke out, and they moved to Canada. And my grandfather was the only one that came west, and uh, he came just at the turn of the last century, homesteaded, was a carpenter, built houses in Salkoats. Wow, and my dad was an electrician, and uh, so that's my background in the reason, Yeah, the reason that I asked that, of course, is 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 because I I was just wondering, based on your kind of long public service career, mm-hmm. um, if if there was some connection in in your family, and I, I just thought, you know, b- based on the timing, that you know, m- you know, I, I kind of thought maybe your your dad served in Second no. World War, but no. so uh, okay, so you you have at least one other brother. 
brother. I have a brother, George. Yes. I've, yeah. I've met him mm-hmm. uh, in my work, I guess. So mm-hmm. uh, any any other no, siblings? It's just the two just of us. Just the two of you, okay. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're a family of small families. My dad came from a family with one brother, and I have one brother. Yeah. And my first wife and I have two children, so it's, right. it's a pattern of just two kids. Yeah. <laughs> I only have, yeah, it's, it's me and my sister, and mm-hmm. then we only have three first cousins. Mm-hmm. And my mom actually uh, has no cousins, mm-hmm. and she likes to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, when she was growing up, apparently the kids in her school didn't believe that she didn't have cousins. Yeah, and yep. she just said, "Well, sorry, but that's yep. just what the facts are." Sure. So. Um, you grew up in Salt Coats, and then you went to the U of S for, I did. for university. Uh, age and 18, headed off to the big city of Saskatoon. You saved the money to do it. I did. Great. I had my first year of university paid for right. uh, by my savings, and uh, actually started out in pre-theology, uh, really? heading towards being a United Church minister, and took ancient Greek, ancient Hebrew, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And after my first year of university, did a, a lay chart a lay pastor uh, in Clone, which is just south of North Battleford, and after third year did another one near Assiniboia. Right. In the meantime, I switched to history and ultimately got an honors BA in history. So did did your experience doing those kind of uh, internships as a pastor, mm-hmm. did that did that experience kind of turn you off of doing yeah, that? I, I think it career? showed me that that was not a career that I wanted. Why? And in, in the process, well, I didn't, I felt like I was always up on a pedestal. Because oh. uh, you probably and, were, like literally. Well, yeah, yeah. Ironically enough, and you know, a minister wears robes virtually all of my careers since of I've worn robes and I've been on right. a pedestal kind of thing. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I lost my faith too. I, I left the church and, um, so I became a historian. Why, why was there a particular reason why you left the church? Well, just, um, studying philosophy. I love philosophy. I love debate. And uh, I think it was Descartes that had the biggest influence on me, mm-hmm. where he said, if you doubt something, set it aside. And then once, then you'll end up with what you truly believe once you've set aside all of your doubts. And uh, religion got set aside. Right. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that about you, so, okay. <laughs> okay, so you, you do a Bachelor of Arts in, in History. Yes. And then you ta- you taught high school for a little bit in I did. North Battleford? Well, there was a, a little unhappiness uh, in there. I was starting my master's degree. So I, that was fifth year university. You're just going straight through hard right. and doing a couple of extra summer classes with French and that sort of thing. And I burnt out. <laughs> my yeah. memory just collapsed. And in the meantime, I was courting the woman that I married. Yeah. And so we married. Uh, I quit university. And that was the first time I'd ever failed at something where I just, because I'm a type A, I yeah. I go towards goals and right. I didn't make my goal. In the meantime, I was offered a job of teaching high school in North Battleford and we moved there. It was wonderful mm-hmm. for five months. And then the speaker of the legislature. Yeah, yeah you got the call to 
to go down to Regina. Yes. So, uh, so in, in that job, you were the you were the clerk of the legislative assembly. I started first off as the assistant clerk. In those days, there was only one clerk, one person total. Right. And so, when they were leaving, they would give six months' notice, and somebody else would come in to understudy. So, uh, in January of 1969, I started as understudy. I was 23 years old. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, six months later, uh, well, September, uh, I was uh, then appointed full clerk of the Legislative Assembly. So, so how, uh, so you were 23 and, and you were, I think, the youngest to ever in Canada to ever have the, to do that job in any province. In the Commonwealth, actually. Okay. Yep. Yeah, which is <laughs> wild. Yeah. Uh, did somebody at the legislative, like, did the speaker know you personally? Or, like, uh, just what was well, the connection? Because most people who are 23, uh, regardless of their mm-hmm. talent, mm-hmm. Um, may not get that job, I guess. Yeah. And so how did that well, all happen? the speaker of the legislature at that time was Jim Snedker, and he was the MLA for Salt Coast. But right. I, I didn't know him. I was I came from a family that was totally nonpartisan. Yeah. Uh, we never discussed politics at the breakfast table. Uh-huh. Um, but m- he knew my mom and dad. Okay. And but then when I was uh, at university, uh, undergrad, I did Saskatchewan Youth Parliament. It was called Texas and Older Boys Parliament at that time. Yeah. And uh, he came to watch the the next generation of young people coming up, and there was a letter on my desk saying, would you like to come for dinner tonight And uh, while I was at Youth Parliament in Regina? And uh, I was a student. I was hungry. Sure, yeah. he's paying. I went for dinner. And this we, was the speaker. That was the right. speaker. Right. And we had a great conversation. Uh, he loved history. I was a historian. Yes. And uh, four years later, out wow. of the blue, wow. he phones me at noon. Um, he had tracked me down by talking to my dad. He says, where's Gordon? I've lost touch with him. And so he got contact. And uh, at noon, he phones me. Yeah. I'm home having lunch with my wife. And uh, he says, uh, the clerk of the legislative position is open, and I want you to be the clerk. There's no hurry, he says. Phone me back at supper time and let me know. Yeah, just like a couple hours just, later. Yeah. yeah. You have a couple hours to think about it. Yeah. So I <laughs> uh, talked it over with my wife, and I talked it over with the principal of the high school, because I didn't really, want, I was loving teaching. I loved the right. students. Yeah. It wasn't as if I wanted to get out of there. Yeah. Um, well, and, you'd, and you'd only been teaching for uh, five months. Five months, as you said. And um, so the principal was very good to me, too. And he said, we really want you to stay. But, you know, this is what an opportunity this and you can always come back to teaching right so 30 days later my wife and I are in Regina so um, so for most of the people listening who um, may not be as well versed about uh, parliamentary proceedings uh, what what exactly does the clerk of the legislative assembly do sure I mean I, I know from from my time in government yep. but well if you're watching on television you'll see a chamber. which is everyone it's the most popular program well there. I'm sure it is it's on prime time Um <laughs> Uh, but the people sitting at the table in the center of the chamber, and they are wearing black and white. So it's it's a nonpartisan position, not wearing colors of any parties, right. less black and white.
and white. Yeah. And the role of the clerk is first off primarily to advise the speaker, but all members of the legislature on parliamentary procedure, precedent, all of that sort of thing. So um, the speaker would, we would prepare the speaker every day for the proceedings of that day. But also the premier or the leader of the opposition or any member may come to the clerk and knowing that they're nonpartisan, right. they would share like, this afternoon I would like to do this and this, how do I do it? So procedural advice to all members of the legislature. Right. Secondly, uh, the clerk is the head of administration. So there's the Hansard, there's the payment of members, and it grew during right. that whole time that I was there. Because right. it used to be when I started, the MLAs came just for the session. They were paid at the end of the session, and that was it. They didn't have really constituency offices. Or, yeah, no, no, no staff in there. Nope. And uh, so all of that grew while I was clerk of the legislature. So we then had the administration to look after. The MLAs hired their own staff, but we then looked after paying them, that sort of thing. And then thirdly, uh, relationship between the legislature and the lieutenant governor. Right. And between other legislatures. Right. So um, preparing for the opening of the legislature. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal when the lieutenant governor comes and yeah. or for royal assent or yes. for prorogation. Those are the three times the lieutenant governor. So right. I started right at age twenty three working with lieutenant governors. So uh, what what year was that? Sixty three or sixty nine? Sixty nine. Okay, so that that was I guess closer to the end of of the Ross Thatcher government. It was, and uh, yeah. I've I've read. Um, a little bit about that government and um yeah that uh, you know it's only seven years for the thatcher government mm-hmm. but but they defeated what was for mostly the the tommy douglas ndp mm-hmm. it was uh woodrow lloyd at the at the yep. end of that term yeah and then of course thatcher died quite tragically after they lost in 71 it was just i think a couple weeks after the, the election, the election right? was june 23rd when they were defeated and he died on were june you the clerk at that time Still? I was. Yeah. And then he died on June the 30th. Now, why do I remember? I remember all sorts of trivia like that, but I'll forget to pick up the milk on the way home. So, yeah. why, uh, do, why do things like that stand out for you? I just remember election dates. I remember yeah. the size of the legislature and all yeah. of those sorts of things. That's, yeah. that's my bag. Right. So those are the roles of a clerk of the legislature. Yeah. So so when when did you move on to the next thing after after that? Well, I was there for 20 years. And right. it was wow. during a period of time when the committees were established, constituency offices. It was a very, very busy time for the legislature. And I loved it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. But it was starting to be time, you know, if, gee, if it's uh, November the 4th today, well, then we must be doing this because it was a repetitive thing. Right. Each year at a certain time, you start to do certain things. Yeah. And I, and in the meantime, living in Regina, I went to the University of Regina and got my master's. So I went back to, to finish a project that I Good. had stopped on before. And, the, and that was in history? In history. Yeah. I changed fields within history. In U of S, I was in British history, but the U of R didn't have a British history section, so I did Canadian, which was fine. It was a good change. And uh, so then I wanted to do a PhD. 
And uh, I asked the legislature, the speaker of that time, different from Snedker, uh, could I have time off to do a PhD? And they said, no, you're indispensable. You can't. And so I Did started, that kind of bother you at, at the time? It did. I yeah. mean, nobody's indispensable. Um, yeah. And it but, was obviously something that you were passionate about doing. Well, and I had become familiar with Walter Scott, the first premier yes, of Saskatchewan. Yes. I was going to ask and you And I did this. a I did some articles on the legislative uh, building. And uh, at the laying of the cornerstone, he delivered a beautiful speech. Yeah. Uh, at the opening of the of the building, yeah. he wasn't there. And I thought, isn't that strange? Why wouldn't the Minister of Public Works and Premier, he yeah. was both, yeah. uh, right at the very end, he wasn't Minister of Public Works any longer, but he was still Premier. Why wouldn't the Premier, this was his baby, why wasn't he there for the opening? Mental health. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that at the time, but any research, you need to have a research question before you start doing research, and right. that was my question. So uh, I was going to ask you about about this book that you wrote about Walter Scott, but um, why don't we just talk about it right now? Well, just if I could add to that, though, in doing my PhD, I wanted to do my dissertation would be the biography of Walter Scott. So it was a combination of two. Right. And uh, but many younger when I went back to university, that was after the Ottawa and all of that. But uh, I went back to the university. Many of the students were younger than my own kids. Um, And they said, why are you doing a PhD and a dissertation on a dead white political male uh, that's oh that's out of style etc well it sold out uh, yeah. I published it and it sold out it uh, well I'm rather proud of it n- yeah and and as as somebody who you know for the longest time it it seemed in this province like the only premier that existed from you know the the first part of the 20th century was Tommy Douglas yeah and then I I, I would say that because of your book and then because of Brad Wall's interest there probably in the last you know 5 to 10 years there's been an increased interest in in Walter Scott who was mm-hmm. our province's first premier and yeah. and it, it, his story is great you know he he struggled with mental health yeah. significantly yeah and but he he was premier at at the founding of the province when it when it in 1905 mm-hmm. yep. and built the legislative building yep. and did all of these things. And um, yeah, you know, my, my, my partner for my birthday one year, might've been Christmas, I think she got me a, a portrait of Walter Scott mm-hmm. and it has the passage from might've been one of the openings of the legislative assembly, but it is stairs. Might have been that it's yeah. this. It's the part of this speech that's on his statue at the legislative building now, yeah. where he says something like, um, "Our government will." You know. You know anyway, I, I forget the wording. You, sure. you may know it exactly, yeah. but no, no. And I'm very proud of that statue out front yeah. because you're right. Premier Wall became a big fan of Walter Scott. Yeah. And uh, re- he read my book, and then he just became a huge fan. Yeah. And then he commissioned that statue, and he said, yeah. "Gordon, I want you to be on an advisory committee, and I." I don't want something far flung, he says. I want it to look like what he would have looked like. Yeah, and it, I think it does. Yeah. I th- to me, it does. Now, when you take a historical figure, usually it's just photographs which are two dimensional, and so the trick right. is to get it into three dimensional. But people aren't aware of this. There's a death mask at the archives of Walter Scott. Oh. So when a person died, they would take 
molten wax and put it over their face and create a mask. And that then gives the person a three-dimensional view of what his face looked like. Really? So, yeah, uh, it was huh? it was a common practice 100 years ago for people of money and influence to have a death mask. Uh, it, there's also a, a bust in the rotunda of the legislative building. Yes. And I had influence. Yeah. I worked with the sculptor on that, too. Yeah. So Why, why do you think people here in Saskatchewan uh, either didn't care or didn't really know much about Walter Scott? Well, I think the Liberal Party, um, during his time, it, they knew it was time for him to go because of his mental health. He was yeah. he was away for literally from um, when he started his premier in fall of 1905 through to 1916, so 11 years. He was away six months of the year. Um, right. And you might call it, uh, uh, what's the, the light one again? Um, seasonally affected disorder, yes. yeah. um, whereby he would write to his friends in yeah. o- October, November, it's starting to get dark. He says, I need to get out. And he... And well, and his a, doctors told him to go mm-hmm. to warmer to a warmer climate, right? With sunshine and yeah. sea level. And you know what? I follow it today. I It's good for me too. Well, I th- so. Yeah, I think for everyone, honestly, <laughs> particularly in this province. <laughs> so he was away, but towards the end, he was. it was starting to get really, really bad. And uh, so ultimately he resigned. And I think the Liberal Party were prepared to then uh, bury the, the memory of it. Um, yeah. He died by himself in a, a psychiatric institute in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, That's so sad, I think. It, his ending is really, really sad. Yeah. Um, and his life after, after he retired as being premier, he lived in Victoria for a while, which is cloudy and rainy in the wintertime. Yeah. Um, his life was terrible. Um, he really, really suffered. And in those years, there was really no medication uh, right. for, for uh, manic. It was called manic depression then, yeah. or bipolar yeah. today. And, and he has a couple of descendants, I, I think, still that I think they've come to a couple of things at the Yeah, they're, they're kind of distant relatives. Right. Walter and Jesse didn't have children of their own, oh. but they adopted a daughter, uh, Dorothy, and she never married, had no children. So there were no direct descendants. But Walter, and this is something else I discovered in doing the research on him, he was born, as the expression was, out of wedlock, meaning right. his mother was single when he was born. And why she picked the surname Scott, I'm not sure. But Walter Scott, you know, and the writer, Britain, all of that. Yes. Uh, But I was able to, I think, trace who his natural father was, who was Adam Scott. Um, But there again, that was kind of something that was hidden. When he came west as a young man, uh, as a journalist with a grade eight education, and started, uh, became federal member of parliament, defeated... Uh, Nicholas Flood Davin uh, started right. well became uh, owner of the leader uh, the Regina leader yeah um, and the newspaper yeah. the newspaper yeah and uh, so he wrote his own autobiography and in there he said I never got to know my father unfortunately because he died before I was born but he had that was fictitious right uh, his I was able to find that his father was uh, had lived beyond that but that was a way of covering up a personal embarrassment that, yeah. that he was born out of wedlock. So there were the two mysteries in his life, his birth and his mental health. Incredible. 
Well, hopefully, you know, I've I've read your book. It was one of the first things that I read when I uh, when I worked at the legislative building. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it may have become, uh, you know, reading that every staff <laughs> member had to do under the under the yep. Brad Wall government because yep. he he liked reading about it so much. But yeah, it, it, it's incredible, and and I hope people um, can can learn more about Walter well, Scott. I make the argument that he's one of our best premiers that we've ever had, and I don't take yes. anything away from Tommy Douglas, but I think Walter Scott is equally as good. Um, he started the whole municipal government level. Right. He established the court system with the courthouses in the various areas, the whole road system, highways and rural roads, right. uh, railways, um, the legislative building you mentioned, yep. establishment of the Capitol in Regina, the establishment of the University of Saskatchewan yeah. in Saskatoon. Yeah, and and, and now things. and that was part of the part of the deal with the legislative building, right? Was that the legislative building and the Capitol would be in Regina. Yes. And and Saskatoon would would get the university campus. Well, right? Walter Scott believed that it was good politics to spread these things around. Yeah, uh, because Regina <laughs> wanted to be Saskatoon wanted to be the capital as well. Yeah. And Walter said, "You never take away something that people have had. So don't take right. that away." Because Regina was the capital of the Northwest Territories as well. Yeah. So don't take that away. But then he was instrumental in having Saskatoon uh, get the university. Uh, Prince Albert got the the jail. Uh, North Battleford got the psychiatric hospital. It's, it's still there and today. Moose, yeah. uh, brand new one yeah, now. Right. Uh, and Moose Jaw didn't get anything yeah. be- because they'd voted conservative. <laughs> <laughs> so that was how politics worked in yeah. those days. Yeah, and it uh, still works that way. Yeah, <laughs> so they they passed around the plums, and right. uh, but he was he had it. And considering, uh, I went through all of his over one hundred and ten thousand pages of correspondence. That's wow. ingoing and out out uh, sending out letters and then receiving letters. Um, but that was all done within six months of each year because when he was depressed, he didn't write letters. He he just it, it went silent. Yeah. And so that many letters in 11 years. You can, so when he was manic, he was going hard. Yeah. And uh, But there was a, a stage where they held up on the construction of the legislative building because he was away. And they said, we have to stop until he comes back to help make this decision. So that building was near and dear to his heart. Yeah. And um, Well, and... Maybe this will be the last thing because I'm sure we could talk for the rest of the <laughs> podcast about Walter Scott. But uh, I, I loved what he said when they were building that. Uh, so the reason why they why they put the dome on it was so that people that were traveling to Regina from mm-hmm. from wherever they were mm-hmm. coming they could see it in the in mm-hmm. the distance. Right, you, that it was I, so high that they would they would see it and they, oh, there's Regina, that's where we're going. And kind of like still, a North Star. And you still can, especially yeah. coming from Moose Jaw. Yes. You might be still I always see it. 20 kilometers away, and you if you look at the yeah. skyline, uh, you see the hill towers, and then a little farther over, you see the legislative building. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- thank you for your work on, on him. I love doing it. Yeah. So, okay, so... You're the clerk of the of the legislative assembly here in Saskatchewan. Yep. And then do you go to be the clerk of the Senate in Ottawa? So here I am. I'm ready to make a move. In fact, I was getting ready to resign and just go back to university on my own. Right. Uh, and lo and behold, uh, the position of clerk of the Senate came open. And, in Ottawa. Uh, in Ottawa. Yeah. And uh, the speaker, this sounds fictitious, but it's honest to goodness truth. The speaker of the Senate, who I'd never met, uh, phoned me and said, uh, the prime minister and I have decided that you will be the clerk of the Senate. So this this was my 
Mulroney. Mulroney. He was prime minister at yeah. the time, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Guy Charbonneau was the speaker. And uh, that was at a time when the Senate was in even greater disgrace than it's been. And uh, right. he said, um, the, the prime minister said, I want him to come here and clean the GD place up. So um, why, why was the Senate in disgrace? Was, was that because of the GST stuff at that time? Or? No, there were some senators that were breaking the law. Oh, okay. and, and there were investigations. Uh-huh. And all of that sort of thing. So, um, and this was at a time too of Meech Lake, right? So Con- it was really the constitutional stuff. Yep, yeah, the whole constitutional stuff. So I then, there I am, fifteen days later uh, in Ottawa, and my wife, my first wife, uh, stayed behind yet in Regina to sell a house, and our daughter was leaving, finishing grade eight. Yeah, and uh, so I was in Ottawa and commuting back and forth till summer, and um, I was there during. GST, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Meech Lake, yeah. Charlottetown, and GST. It was a whole tumultuous time. Yeah. But I was able to bring a lot of change to the Senate on an administrative basis. I brought in the um, Auditor General, Ken Dye, and uh, he made a huge report, and we were able to implement all of the administrative stuff, except if it applied to the senators. And they said, no. No change. And it sounds like I told you so type thing, but I don't mean it that way. It's just if they'd have made those changes then, they wouldn't have had the Mike Duffy stuff of more recent times. Right. But they didn't. And uh, so I stayed five years. I brought in a lot of change, but five years was enough. Um, as I describe it, I left with push marks. I resigned, but I had push marks in my back mm. because there were senators who felt that I was pushing for too much change. And uh, they, they wanted to maintain the status quo. So yeah. came back to, I, and I was unemployed for half a day on the University of Saskatchewan phones and says, we hear you're thinking of uh, coming back to do a PhD. Will you teach? And so this was 94, 95? 94. Yeah, yeah okay. 94. Right. So in the fall of 94, I just, was... Sorry, just to go yeah. back to the, uh, to, the, to the Senate stuff, what... To, what are some of the, I guess, differences between Regina and and the Ottawa political situation, political scene? I guess. I mean, obviously, like obviously, very very different. You know, the you know the Ottawa political legislative stuff is kind of more on the macro level, yep. but there's more scrutiny and and especially with the issues that that you listed off there, lots well, of focus on on that. Well, the the senators, it really really bothered me how they felt. They had a sense of entitlement, like uh, they would be in just new move into a new office. Well, they had to have all new carpet and new furniture oh, in. Yeah. And I said, "What? Well, we only put that carpet in last year, kind of." So there was that. But the staff as well were very much wanting to fight to maintain the the status quo because it was good. It was it was cushy. It was comfortable. Yeah. And they didn't want change. So um, I it's in my nature when. When I go into a job, I jump in with both feet, and um, yeah. I jumped in and brought a lot of change. But uh, there were three senators in particular who all came to power in at the same time who said this. In fact, one of them said, you're just like a gang of hell's angels, he says. You're just creating too much fuss around here. And so um, they, in quotation marks, encouraged me to leave. Oh, wow. And okay. um, I felt absolutely crushed because I felt, and I, I know, I was on the right trail. I was doing the right thing. Yeah, but uh, well, I think yeah, it sounds like we mentioned like the uh, the Mike Duffy stuff. People yeah. may have 
been able to thank you if you've been able to do some more stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, there's the funny thing in public service. If uh, yeah. if you correct something, then the problem didn't happen. So then nobody knew that it was a problem. But yeah, right. uh, yeah. uh, but anyway, I, you know, it was a tough time. Uh, it was a very tough five years, and it was tough leaving because I felt I had been fired, which I wasn't. But I felt like I was fired. I felt I was defeated. And yet, on the other hand, if I had it to do again, I would um, because right. it was a tremendous experience, and I got some international consulting while in Ottawa. I, I went to uh, Russia right at the end of the end of the Soviet Union uh, wow. within weeks after yeah. the and Boris Yeltsin was there and Mulroney and Yeltsin had formed up a friendship and the Prime Minister said to me and one other, here's a million dollars, go to Russia and see what we can do to help stabilize the system of government. And uh, so that's what got me really into the whole international field. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you you went back to to teach at the U of S. Yeah. Okay. What, I, but in, in no in political studies. Oh right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes uh, sense because of because of my experience. experience. Yeah. And uh, so I was. The irony of it is, I was teaching a class that I had taken, and it was my only class that I ever taken in political studies. Yeah. But it was my experience of right. working with the legislature and the Senate, right. and uh, I loved it. I uh, did, but I also was then doing my PhD. Right. I took, um, I think it was politics, political studies 204, mm-hmm. and Don, Don Story taught mm-hmm. it. And I think that, I think it, uh, we definitely learned, talked about the Senate, but kind of the whole political system. Yeah. You know, like the Queen and, you know. Yeah. Well, a lot I of people unfortunately don't know that the that the queen is the is the head of state. We are a constitutional yeah. monarchy. Yeah. Sure, we are. Yeah. Uh, but no, I started teaching two hundred three, which was right. the the full course from fall to spring. Yeah. And then yeah. they divided it into two hundred four, two hundred five, yeah. and I I did both of those. So wow. Loved them. Yeah. And then I did some four hundred level classes as yeah. well. Yeah. 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 The seminars. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you wrote you did the PhD, and w- w- at that. Was the the book on Walter Scott part of the the PhD? It was my dissertation. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then what did you do when you did that before you got the appointment to uh, to be lieutenant governor? Well, um, you know, my career is just stay by the phone and something will happen. Because <laughs> okay. here I am. I'm yeah. just about finished my PhD. And in the process, I got to know Peter McKinnon, who was the dean of law at that time. First off, I would be in the cafeteria in the morning getting a hot chocolate, waiting for the archives to open. And uh, he would come in for his cup of coffee. on campus at the university. On campus at the University of Saskatchewan. And um, in Saskatchewan style, you always say, good morning. And after a while, you say, well, sure, cold out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And we struck up a friendship. Right. Well, then he got a hold of me one day and he said... We really need you because we have a project in Russia, and I understand you have experience in doing some in Russia. And I was appointed uh, associate director of U of S International, so really doing a lot of international work, a lot of travel, um, and working particularly. We had the Yeltsin Democracy Fellowship at the University of Saskatchewan, and so it meant going back and forth to Russia, right? Maybe three times a year over a period of I was there three years, I guess. So, and was was that to uh, cultivate international students as well to come to the 
to the University of Saskatchewan? That, but also I was doing some governance work. Okay. So going into countries that um, were just establishing a new system of government, yeah, kind of like was, Russia. But it I was went, relatively new at that time. Yeah. In, the early I, 2000s. in 94, I went into South Africa right at the end of apartheid. Yeah, With, wow. Again, within weeks after uh, the end of apartheid, Nelson Mandela had yeah. come out of jail. And uh, so I was working with ANC, the political party, on helping them get established, not from a political sense, but more from a governance sense. Um, and then I got involved, this is over a period of time, not, not always while I was at the U of S, but mainly. Uh, I did work in the Republic of Georgia, uh, the Republic of Guinea in West Africa, well, Rhodesia, yeah. uh, not Rhodesia, Sorry. Uh, Indonesia, uh, yeah. and Vietnam. Wow. So those uh, going into these countries, it was an amazing experience to be able to start from scratch yeah. and help them design uh, perhaps sometimes a con we in uh, Georgia we were working on a constitutional amendment um, sometimes it was training members to become good members of a parliament a legislature so um, all of that really was based on my experience as U of S International and then from there Peter while there Peter became president of the University of Saskatchewan Yes, and then he says the position of university secretary is open yeah. And I want you to apply, uh -huh. meaning I didn't have a choice. Yeah, you were doing it, and you were probably going to get the job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we had an interview, uh, and everybody kind of nod and winked, and yeah, I became the university secretary. So what, is, what did that entail? It's very similar to being clerk of the legislature. Okay. You work with the board of governors, you work yeah. on governance, uh, but you're also the eyes and ears of the president. So um, yeah, kind it's of like not, a chief of staff. Well, that's what I was just going to say, but yeah. It's kind of a chief and staff, but it's also kind of like the the, the governance person. Yeah. But I also looked after uh, student discipline, both academic and non-academic right. discipline. And, That'd be interesting. Uh, worked with all uh, the university council, the university senate. So you offer governance support for right. all of the bodies at the university. Right. I love that. But I said to Peter, count my fingers, I will stay five years uh, because then I'm going to go. And I was still teaching and doing international consulting while yeah. there. Yeah. But I said, I want to spend more time teaching. Um, and uh, so at the end of five years to the day, I resigned. And 2006? Uh, yeah, it was no, it was uh, it was 2000 to 2005. Right. So that fall, I went back teaching, and by uh, early spring of 2006, uh, the you, call came you got to a new LG. job. So I got so a new job. so who who makes the call? Who calls you when <laughs> you're going to get the job? Well, to be the lieutenant governor. Is, is it the governor general? No. Okay. Um, it's really it's the prime minister's choice. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, a little bit of a story on this. Uh -huh. I, I'm a napper. I love having naps. And what I was, time do you nap during the just day? Just right after lunch. Oh, perfect. And if it's 10 or 20 minutes, I am good for the rest of the day. So I'm having a nap. And by this point, uh, going backtracking a wee bit, my first wife had passed away from cancer. Yeah. And then subsequently remarried. And my wife, Naomi, has a daughter. And she was living with us. And when I woke up, she said, oh, there was a phone call for you. Um, it was uh, MPO or OMP or I said, could it be the PMO? <laughs> yeah. She hadn't prime taken Minister's the political... Yeah, yeah, it was the Prime Minister's office. Wow. And uh, so I phoned back, 613, so I knew it was Ottawa. 
And uh, he said... Uh, and Stephen Harper, was he was the prime minister at the time. He just was. Just early 2006, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. he was the prime minister, and um, uh, it was known that Linda Haverstock's term was coming to an end. It's right. usually about five to six years. Right. And um, so this uh, chief of staff for the prime minister phoned, and he said, this is a confidential con- conversation. If you say anything about it, we'll deny we ever made it. And he said, the prime minister wants to know if you will come out of retirement. Because I had kind of phrased that I was semi-retired. I was teaching. And uh, so I said, well, it depends. What's the job? He said, I can't tell you. It's up to the prime minister. I said, well, if is it in Ottawa or in Saskatchewan? No, Saskatchewan. I said, good, because if it's in Ottawa, I'm not going back. Right. Okay. Uh, a week went by, and he phoned back again. And he said, the prime minister wants to see, this was on a Friday. He wants to see you in his office on Monday in Ottawa. Great. So, so you go there. Go. Yeah. And it was totally, totally confidential in the airport leaving. You know what it's like in Regina in the airport. Everyone knows each other. Everybody. Yeah. 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 Or no, this was Saskatoon. We were living in Saskatoon then. Right. So, so where are you going? Why are you going to Ottawa? And I said, I'm just going to check and see if there's life in the Senate. And everybody <laughs> chuckled and off we went. So I met with the prime minister. Yeah. And uh, he said to me, Gordon, he said, if we were to make an appointment for you, would there be anything in your background that would be embarrassment for you? or for the federal government. And I thought, hmm, they've done some security checking, but what's he getting at? Uh Biker gang, no. Drugs, no. Criminal record, no. I said, well, I did work for the Senate. And I said, and I I, I resigned with push marks on my back. Well, the laughter from him. He's... People don't know this, but yeah. Stephen Harper has quite a sense of humor yeah. on, a, on a one-on-one. Yes. He's he's a very personable person. When he's in front of the media, he clams right up. He doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and people and, people were always critical of that. Yeah. And so he and I just hit it off. And then he and this meeting was only supposed to be about ten minutes. Uh-huh. And uh, we got the LG thing out of the way. And and I could hear people behind wanting to. And he said, No, yeah. no, another twenty, another twenty minutes. I was there forty-five minutes. It's 50 minutes, I'll bet. That's cool. Because he wanted to talk about Senate reform. He says, you've published about Senate reform. Right. You were there. And so in the end, he said to me, you know, Gordon, he said, the reason it didn't work out for you is you were in too big a hurry. I have a more slow, incremental approach to changing the Senate. And I, I think it's honest to say that Stephen Harper really, his crowning achievement would have been to reform the Senate. Yeah, he really wanted that, but you know what happened. He tried this smaller steps, and it didn't work. Yeah, and I saw him after that at another occasion, and uh, I was LG by this point, and we were in a receiving line, and he says, "Yes, we had quite a conversation about the Senate, didn't we?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And I've been meaning to phone you and say, "How's the slower approach going?" <laughs> Well, he laughed again. Yeah, not not going too great. No. Yeah. So half an hour later, my phone goes, the Prime Minister wants to see you again. Uh, so the next day, I went to his hotel suite, and we had a, yeah. another full hour talking about the Senate and Senate reform. And So that was how I became the left-handed governor, and mm-hmm. what an experience that is. Yeah, six it's, years. Uh, five and a half years, yeah. yeah okay. Mm-hmm. And you were you were there for the, the tail end of the Calvert... NDP yes. government and the transition to the in 07 to SAS yeah, party. Yeah. Yeah. So um kind of like the like the clerk I guess and you know we we maybe don't have time to go into it too, too in depth but um what's what's it like being the lieutenant governor? 
and and I guess for for people who don't really know what exactly is that? Well, a lieutenant governor officially is the direct representative from the queen. Yeah, and people think that the governor general. Did you ever meet her? Oh her, yes, yeah, oh for sure. Uh, it's by practice within about your first year of your term, uh, there is an appointment with the queen in wow. Buckingham Palace, and it's okay, called. Let's talk about that a bit. It, what what's more nerve wracking, meeting the queen or meeting the prime minister? I, it's it's got to be the queen, I'm assuming. I'm not sure that it's nerve-wracking. Really? You I, just breezed well, in there, you did the, the, yeah, you did been, the bow? and I've been doing this since age 23. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that uh, must have been pretty... Well, and I had met her on a couple of other occasions. Oh, you have. Just okay. in, in receiving lines. So, right. you know, Your Majesty, good morning, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. This was an audience, and an audience is where you have 20 minutes, yeah. and there's nobody there except her. You go into her, her well, sitting room? Naomi, like Naomi the and I, the car picked us up at the hotel, and they took us to Buckingham Palace at noon with the changing of the garden. We thought, how are we going to get in? And the gates just opened. I said to the driver, how did they know it was us? And he said, sir, they knew you were coming. And we go right in under the portico and yeah. uh, there was an aide and uh, the secretary to the queen was there and met us. Yeah. And they said, there's something going on in, in the lower, the public area. Her Majesty wonders if you would mind if you would come up to her private quarters, to her, her sitting room. Yeah. And so we go into this room first off to wait and uh, this man comes in with a, a wicker basket under his arm with mail and on it it says the queen and uh, we chatted and they so we said so Naomi was with me and we yeah. said so what are we supposed to do you know we're expecting a briefing they said have you seen the movie called the queen yeah. well then don't do any of that because that was I mean none of this three steps back and etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so just be yourself so the doors open in we go and she she had been in Saskatchewan in, was it 05? Yes, it would have been for the celebrations. Right. And it had rained. It had poured the whole time oh. she was here. So she greets us and she says, so has it stopped raining in Saskatchewan yet? <laughs> She is so on her game yeah. in terms of knew where we were from, what was happening. She had just been in the United States, and we talked American politics. We talked Canadian politics, British politics. Yes. She has a sense of humor. I said, Your Majesty, many governments now are going green, but now I see Britain has gone brown because their new prime minister was Gordon Brown. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, well, she yeah. chuckled about Did that. Did she like that? And then yeah. she, she said how many prime ministers she had worked with over since Churchill, yeah. So now, now, do you think she? Do you think she knew all of that, like about you know where you're, like where you were from and everything about that? Do you think she knew that from memory and just being the queen and being sharp or well briefed or maybe, maybe a combination of I everything? I think a combination of both. But I think she's quite sharp. I mean, I mean that, very, that's very, very well sharp. known and very very personable. We even right. talked about. I thought it was off limits to talk about family. Well, no, she talked about one of her cousins going. Uh, well, this cousin was trekking to the North Pole in northern Canada right. and was interrupted because of uh, the ice was melting, etc. And she says, I, she's daft. She, I don't know why she'd be doing that. And I said, well, maybe she wanted the challenge. She says, she has a teenage son. Surely that's a challenge. <laughs> it was that kind of... When we left, I just felt a, a, a euphoria and thought this was just like sitting visiting with my mom. Right. You wow. know, she was and um, just so personable. 
But when the 20 minutes is up, there was a little button beside her chair, and the, she pushed the button, yeah. and the doors done. opened, and we're done. That's it. Yeah. Uh, because there was another group waiting. Yeah. To see her then. I think I think it'll be very a very sad day when she, when she when she passes away, and yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I think people are are maybe slowly. Well, who knows? I mean, people seem to really like uh, Prince uh, Prince Charles. William. Yeah. Well, yeah. do they like Charles? <laughs> well, I'm not sure, but I think that there will be enough support that yeah. he will be the king uh, for that interregnum. Yeah. But uh, no, I think uh, William will be a, a stellar a great, king, great king. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he will. So, okay, you were you were lieutenant governor until 2012. Yes, and uh, you know, most people, I think, uh, after doing that job. <laughs> and, and, you know, your kind of lengthy career would have, you know, maybe put your feet up and moved to Arizona full time. But uh, but you went back to, to teach. Yes. Uh, so you went to the history department at, at the U of S. And yeah. uh, did you did you when did you write the book about the about the premiers? The 20th century premiers. Was that a while back? That would have been before I was LG. I think it was about 2005. I've read that one too. Yeah. I have four books. The very first one was on Commonwealth committees. Then Scott... Not quite as exciting. Well, it was commissioned by the Commonwealth. um, And there's a copy of it in every library in the Commonwealth. Uh, But it never went for sale. It wasn't uh, a published book for sale. It It was commissioned by the Commonwealth. Then Scott was next and then I, I did the book on the legislative building right. building yeah. for the future yep. and then finally the, the book on the premiers right so yeah. that was all in a span of 2000 roughly 2000 to 2005 yeah okay so you you went back to teaching and then a couple of years later I'm, I'm sure that you did a, probably 10 10 things in the you know years between 2012 and uh, yep. 20 2014 I guess it 15. was yeah 2015 you uh, no it was 14 you're right 2014 yeah. Yeah. You you got the call. Uh, there were some issues at at the U of S with the president at the time, and you got the call asking if you would maybe fill in and help the university transition to through that tough tough period. Um, it was a very interesting another phone call. Yeah, uh, and I basically had three hours notice uh, from the time it was confirmed with me. Yes, we are offering you this position. To I was standing in front of the media explaining what I was going to do as president. Yeah, um, and if you think that meeting the Queen is intimidating, meeting after three hours notice, meeting the media to talk about an institution that was in crisis, uh, yeah, that was also intimidating. Yeah, um, it was. That was a tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked at the legislative building at the time, and and that. And and the issue came up in question period. Mm-hmm. And I don't really remember post-secondary issues like that ever coming up. Uh, but yeah, the U of S was, you're writing, kind of in crisis. Well, there were students, I wouldn't say rioting, but certainly demonstrating. And yeah. faculty were unhappy. And yeah. and donors were fleeing. And um, it was it was a real problem. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, <laughs> And the morning following my appointment, I was told, I mean, there was a big briefing right off of, these are the issues, et cetera, et cetera. That afternoon was university council, which is made up of faculty and students. And so it looks after the whole academic side of the university. Board of Governors looks after the financial. I'm simplifying it, but that's basically it. And the council can be quite contentious. And it the room was full. There must have been 300 people there. Wow. They were all yeah. waiting to 
see, okay, what's this new guy going to do? Yeah. And uh, one of the professors that's quite outspoken, she said, what are you going to do about the perp walks? And a perp yeah. walk, yeah. You're, you're familiar with yes. that. It's if you're being fired, you, you're taken out of your office, told you're done. You can't go back and get your personal effects yeah. or say goodbye. You're you're a perpetrator and you're marched out kind of thing. And and, and this is what happened to the, to the it, dean it, of... Uh, <sighs> Dean of Health, Health Science. Yeah, uh, yeah. Know, that's what happened to him. Um, and but it was happening to employees as well. Right. And I said, I listen. <laughs> I've only been in his job less than twenty four hours. I'm not sure what the powers of the president are, but I can assure you that there won't be any more perp walks as long as I'm president. Good. They like that. There was a pro- applause, and yeah. and that was true. Uh, I don't think there was ever a perp walk. I just would not allow it. Yeah. Because that's not the right way to treat an employee. Yeah. And. Um, but it was a challenge. It was a fascinating time. I thoroughly enjoyed it and um, got to got along really well with faculty, got to know a lot of the students. I, at least once a day, once a week, I would take a walk through campus, midday kind of thing, yeah. and just talk to students, That's talk cool. to faculty. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I didn't know that you did that, but when you say it, I think... That is a sign of a of a good leader, and if if it's it doesn't matter if you're the premier or the prime minister or yeah. an executive at a company or you yeah. know major corporate or even a small business. Yeah. Um, as somebody who, whenever I would see the premier or a you know a senior minister when mm-hmm. I worked at the legislative building and they were amongst mm-hmm. the staff, I. That was a great moment because, yeah. and that means a lot to, to people. And I'm sure that the that well, students love that. One of my highlights was in September when the students are moving into res. Yeah. And I would purposefully go down there and maybe spend two hours just standing in line with the students and their families. Yeah. And many of them are first year students, green as grass, scared to witless in terms of <laughs> starting new university. Yeah. Many of them were from Calgary, interestingly enough. Oh, uh, but I good. would just start talking to them about, well, where are you from? Um, and what are you going to be studying and get to know the parents a wee bit. I love that because it's, it's, that's what makes the university go. Without the students, the university would close in two weeks. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. You know, no, there's, we're there. They're to, the business. We're there yeah. to educate and groom and style students. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed all of that. But unfortunately, after 17 months, the university decided they didn't need me nor want me. And I left kind of like I felt like when I left the Senate. Really? I, Why? I, there was still so much more were, to do. You, you were the interim. Like the, you'd I always was the interim, had the interim, but I had really high hopes that I really? would be able to continue on. Did you put your name forward? For yes, consider? I did. Okay. And they had a short list of 21, and my name wasn't on it. 21 is not really a short list. But, uh, <laughs> and my name wasn't even on that yeah. list. So, mm. No, they had decided that uh, they needed a whole new brand, I guess. I was still maybe a memory from the previous. I see. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, in any case, I was crushed. And did you did you consider going elsewhere? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's not that many presidents job openings at other universities. But. I looked at that. Uh-huh. Um, the oppor- the phone never rang yeah. <laughs> for that. But in the meantime, Naomi said to me, well, you know, cons- maybe consider this as kind of like retirement and go out to Salkos to the lake house. And why not just sp- enjoy the summer? And I said, how can I be on holidays if I'm not working? Yeah. You know, um, 
Right. So, so I, was I had a terrible summer. I yeah. was, um, and then by fall, there were municipal elections. Yeah. And this, this to me is is so incredible that after, <laughs> let's say sixty, you know, late sixties, forty years of it, you know, fifty years almost. Of a of a long public service career, a nonpartisan, you put your name finally as as an elected official in Saltcoats. Well, right it, during my careers, I've had nine careers. So during my careers, yeah. um, the three various political parties had approached me to run, right. and I said, "Read my lips, I will never be an elected official." Uh-huh. And but the motto there is never say never because in Salcoats that fall uh, there were four vacancies for council and nobody would run. The deadline came and passed, so there were still four vacancies. The minister of government relations had to step in and appoint people so that the town could continue. They couldn't pay the bills. They couldn't yeah. do anything without yeah. a quorum, without yeah. right. without a council. Right. Right. Well, the pressure had been on before that to run, and I said, well, I'm only there for part-time. How can I be on council? No, 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 no. Well, then there was media attention when, you know, here's Salcoats, and they had these four, and they had appointments. And I like my town to be in the news for good reasons, but not for bad. And so I said, okay. And they said... You know, all you need to do is put your name in. It'll be acclamation. Five people came forth for four positions. I thought, oh, my God, now we have to have an election. And I've, <laughs> I've never been elected. I've never run for election. What am I going to? So I went to the two households that had signed my nomination yeah. papers. And then I said, well, I guess that's my campaign. And Naomi and I went to Maui. And you won. And got the, got the email from uh, while we were in Maui saying, uh, Gordon, you're now a councillor in the town of Salco. So wow. by FaceTime, I did my oath. Uh, Incredible. Si- signed everything electronically. <laughs> and um, the first two council meetings uh, I did by phone yeah. because we were still in Maui. And then the pressure was on, well, why not run for something with SUMA? You're now a member of SUMA. Yeah. And, you okay, know. Just for the people yeah. who. Who aren't like us and don't don't know Suma yeah. Saskatchewan Urban Municipalities Association. Yes, and uh, so and, and Suma represents the cities and uh, towns and villages and villages resort villages all around northern Saskatchewan, not rural municipalities. No, so yeah. uh, four hundred and forty communities uh, right. around the province, eighty-two uh, percent of the population. Yeah, and um, so from Maui, I thought, well, maybe I looked online and there was a vacancy at present. The rest were incumbents running again. Yeah. So I thought, well, throw my name in. So from Maui, <clears throat> I phoned 52 mayors. And what a, see, now that is a campaign. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> my thinking, too, yeah. was if the mayor knows me, or at least is familiar with my name, yeah. then likely the council will support me as yeah. well. And so we got back in time to go to SUMA convention, and I was elected SUMA president. And you ran against Darren Hill, city, city councilor in Saskatoon. Yes. So one one question that I have about that. So at the time, there was some, I don't really know what to call it, I guess, but there, there was some interest in the uh, division within SUMA between the, I guess, more... You know, they're not rural municipalities, but they're more rural towns and and villages, right? Versus the cities, you know, bigger, you know, Regina, Saskatoon, Moose Jaw, PA, and, you know, know, Swift Current and the like. Um, And so with Darren Hill being from Saskatoon, you representing a a more rural part of the province, um, 
I just recall that there was there was being some some interest in that. And well, Darren, after the election, when I had won, he said, "That's what's wrong with this organization. It's run by towns and villages." And I thought, well. If I run again, I right. hope he says that again, <laughs> because. Yeah. Uh, but is that I, a concern? Because no. y- you know, I'm from Saskatoon and I've lived in Regina, yep. and for the for a very long time, I was almost hostile towards you know the rural parts of Saskatchewan, mostly because I didn't know anyone or had never gone to visit, and yep. and because of my work in government, I've now seen a lot of the province, and I think understand at least a little bit yep. more, um, and I certainly understand the politics and the influence that um, that that politicians in the non. Uh, major urban areas, you know, because it, it's you know, Saskatoon and Regina have the most most of the yep. services and get yep. most of the money. Yeah, but there's a lot of influence because people don't want to be forgotten, and and the, they're important, right? Yep. And yeah, um, well, Suma is a very interesting organization to lead because the interests there's likely about four groups. There are the two big cities, Regina, Saskatoon. Then there are the smaller cities like yep. Weyburn and and Yorkton and Estevan type yep. thing. Yep. Uh, then you have the towns and then you have the villages. Yep. Then you have resort villages. And then northern Saskatchewan is all part of SUMA as well. Oh, right. So as leader of this organization, I am very conscious of trying to uh, pay attention to each of those groups and make sure that we're meeting their needs, representing them. Because yep. SUMA is a lobby group. We represent yep. these communities. Yep. Uh, so advocacy is a big part of it to mm-hmm. federal and provincial government. But we also provide service. We provide uh, a group uh, purchasing agency called Suma Advantage. Right. So our community wants to buy tires or oil or graters or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you, the, you get the bulk price. They the, get the bulk yeah. price. Yeah. Uh, so it's service and ad- advocacy uh, for all of these members. And it's uh, so I've been working a lot with villages to try and make sure that they can continue and maintain their identity. But I also have a practice of trying to get together one on one with each mayor of a city throughout the year. In a, in a year, I try to make them all. I yeah. haven't quite made that, but that's my goal. So it's, and then everything in between. I go to the seven regional meetings, the province, the southern part of the province is divided into seven regions. Each has a meeting, and I go to all of them um, to listen to what our membership is saying and to try and make sure we meet their needs. Do you, uh, I think, I think uh, Saskatchewan is one of the only provinces in Canada that has separate uh urban municipality uh, representation and and then rural do you ever see a time where the two would go together or or do you think that the influence of both sarm and suma is just too powerful well, i guess this is a bit of a controversial issue i know that sarm yeah. is very worried uh, about the talk of the two joining i'm not pushing that i'm yeah. not promoting that we've as as uh, president of suma i have enough on my plate right now but there certainly is talk uh, we at our convention coming up in february there is a resolution coming forth from a community that the sarm and suma sit down to discuss union uh, our board is not promoting it nor right. Speaking against it, we we want to hear what the membership has to say. Yeah. But I know that the leadership in SARM are are quite. They feel I think threatened by that, mm. and that's too bad because SARM and SUMA are working together on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I saw a list the other day. It covers a whole eight and a half by eleven sh- sheet of paper listing all of the things that we're working together on. 
And really, if you take out the words rural and urban, we're all part of Saskatchewan and we're hopefully working towards the same goal. Yeah. And that is to improve the lifestyle of people living in this province. Uh, last question, because we've we've had a lengthy conversation and you, you got to get going. Um, as I've said, you've, you've had a, a lengthy public service career. One of the things that I think about based on my time in government and conversations with people like uh, Brad Wall, I talked to him about this um, and, and, and many others. Um, do, do you get the sense that public service is a bit of a dying art in that um, when people think of public service now, they maybe more think more about the partisan politics of it and mm-hmm. not necessarily, uh, you know, the jobs like you have done, you mm-hmm. know, clerk, clerk of the assembly's mm-hmm. lieutenant governor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and serving on a fairly nonpartisan position with uh, SUMA and yep. your, your position on, on council. Well, being nonpartisan is a point of, of pride for me. Yes. Uh, it's something that I've maintained all the way through my careers. And I don't think I'd have had these opportunities if I had been a partisan. I, yep. My career would have gone in a whole different direction. But is public service dying? No, I don't think so. Um, There's still people willing, not as many people as should. I wish that there were more people, especially at the municipal level, would be willing to run for council, run for mayor, uh, because you're giving back to the community. And and that's what I feel I'm doing now is, well, I guess all of my careers, I've been giving back to the community, but I've enjoyed it. It's, It's a challenge. And the challenge is to try and make things better. From yeah. whatever we, wherever we started, can we make it better? Yeah. So, well. no, I don't think public service is dying. Um, and perhaps there's a generation now that maybe hasn't volunteered as much. Yeah. And I think volunteerism perhaps is struggling. But I'm sure that's coming back. Um, in Saltcoats, just recently, we had a representation come before council. And uh, they said, we have 75 kids that want to play ball. And our ball diamonds, the nets, the bleachers are all in need of repair. Would the town give them $30,000 line of credit to get started? Started. They basically haven't touched that because they raised money, wow. and they yeah. now have three bat, brand new ball diamonds with the shale and the yeah. and the the nets and the bleachers and everything. And they attracted the provincial playdowns this year in ball, and really? they'll get it again next year because of this ballpark. And that yeah. was created by volunteers raising money and the labor. The cost went into buying the the shale and the netting and etc. Right. So volunteers, you you can find them. Yeah. Well, um, we we fit a lot into this conversation, (laughs) didn't we? We talked about Walter Scott meeting the Queen, which I didn't know about. That was a great story. Lieutenant Governor, clerk. Yeah, very... Uh, quite the impressive career you've had, and uh, yeah, but, thank but you. I hope that you won't think of it as in the past tense because uh, yeah, you're still going. I I I intend to keep maybe, going. Maybe uh, maybe I'll be premier in t- no, ten years. No, based on I, your, uh, the way things I are was, going. Here. When I was elected to council, I sent a note to Brad Wall, who I uh, we've become good friends. Yeah. When I was left-handed governor, we had a very close relationship, and I said, "Don't consider this as a step towards becoming an MLA." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you never uh, know. But uh, with my health, if my health continues, my interest is there to keep on. Good. Well, I I hope that you do that because uh, you. yeah, you've you contribute very much to this province. So, thanks for talking to me. As as I said, I've I've wanted to to uh, uh, to talk to you for a long time. So, thank you very much for doing this. You're most welcome, Dale.
that's it for this episode of the Talking 306 podcast. Thank you to Gordon Barnhart for talking to me. It was great, great to sit down and speak to him about, about his life and career. If you like the Talking 306 podcast, please make sure to visit the Saskatchewan Podcast Network to find more great Saskatchewan podcasts. www.saskpodcastnetwork.com That's S-A-S-K podcastnetwork.com And please follow the Saskatchewan Podcast Network on Facebook and Instagram, uh, as well as this podcast, the Talking 306 podcast. Thanks as always to Path Cowork and to Connexus Credit Union for supporting my podcast and the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. My name is Dale Richardson. See you next time.